0: The question um, <clears throat> that was asked here is about uh, the recommendation that we could find in no and there are some other traditions about striving for excellence in all we do, and put your heart into all you do uh, to 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 make it excellent, and the danger of <clears throat> perfectionism, which really is a kind of imbalance. Um, um, excessive attention to detail or um, chronic dissatisfaction with um, any kind of product or output or performance. It's uh, perfectionism as uh, an aspect of chronic self-criticism and a sense, of an un, a fixed sense of inadequacy or insufficiency. No matter what I do, it's never enough. Uh, maybe I got an A, but I should have gotten an A plus. Maybe I've written three books, but I should write three more. Uh, look what they're doing; it's more than what I'm doing. I could always do more. Uh, why am I only stopping here? Uh, and I think that uh, there's not you you rightly are or are, are sort of pointing to the need to n- develop a more nuanced understanding of what throwing your heart into all you do and striving for excellence in all you do what that means the need for a nuanced uh, subtle understanding of that so that we don't fall into um self-harming perfectionism, uh, excessive self-demanding, chronic self-blame, self-criticism, inadequacy, insufficiency, kind of inferiority complex, uh, all of that. And I think, you know, first of all, there are other traditions that talk about striving for excellence and all that's done. In the Carlos Castaneda, Don Juan series, The Way of Power, uh, they talk about meticul- being meticulous, and the need that the the warrior, the magician, the uh, uh, magi- you know the, the 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 man, the shaman, the way of the man of power, uh, <clears throat> is extremely careful and meticulous in all he does. He or she. In Buddhism, the teaching to the monks, the original teaching to the monks, is basically something like that. To be perfect in conduct always, to always uh, remain steadfast and moral, and always uh, guard the mind against, you know, wrong thought, wrong speech, wrong action. Uh, to be a paragon of virtue. And it's absolutely true, of course, that um, one can tune 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 the lute too tight tune the strings too tight and risk breaking the string or pushing ourselves too much or falling into um uh excessive you know as you say perfectionism uh excessive self demanding in um the quality of performance expected of ourselves now uh, i i mean i think the point is valid that yeah um one can uh rightly one one can understand you know some people <laughs> certain people who have a strong mind and a strong will uh putting their heart uh, together with their will which is the right way i mean that's that's spiritual path anyways you know Ra talked about um Acceptance of self, forgiveness of self, and direction of the will. Uh, now, as the way to the disciplined personality, or the way to, to be in balance, in, in final balance, or continued balance, there, it's, there's no real contradiction in my mind uh, between the injunction to uh, strive for excellence in all our doing, in all our expression. Uh, To throw your heart into what you're doing, which is basically a statement of uh, a recommendation for sincerity. It's just a call for sincerity and authenticity. Throw your heart into what you're doing means... uh, If it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. It's worth doing well. And if if you believe it's worth doing, then naturally your heart ought to be in it, or will be in it. Uh, But... (laughs) <laughs> um, there, there's a context um, in which one may seek to be meticulous or throw one's heart into all one does to strive for excellence, to be a paragon of virtue uh, there's a context and the context is called um, the, whole, the self and the self living the life the personal self living our life And so, like Gautama's injunction in terms of practice, not too tight, not too loose, which is balance, which means uh, pushing or striving, but not excessively, and giving oneself freedom for rest and leisure. I mean, Buddhists would not say play. The monks don't play. That's not, you know, that's not considered critical to the path. But rest is, and leisure is, and not pushing all the time is critical to the path, critical to to the well-being of the one on the path. And so uh, mm, meticulousness is not simply uh, attention paid, uh, to uh, excellence in performance, um, but also a meticulousness in knowing the self, right? And so the first two portions of Ra's statement, acceptance of self, forgiveness of self, includes the acceptance that self needs rest. <laughs> so, and we need some play. And we need to take it easy. Sometimes, too. And that's part of the the taking care of of who we are on the path in which um it's right to throw your heart into what you do uh and some um you know some form of care to the product meaning striving for excellence or something something like that is important but i think it has one has to make it one's own and I, I personally, everybody's going to kind of, everybody has their different sense of what's sufficient. And, and some people, when they fall into perfectionism, feel nothing's ever enough. I'm never enough. What I do is never good enough. That's, um, that's not meticulousness. That's, um, excessive, <laughs> that that's, um, attach, you know, over attachment to perfection that, uh, is really unreasonable. Um, and yet, our view of that will change over time. So I think everybody's got to make that their own, and and a lot of this is about self trust. And some people will say, "No, I don't want an A. I want an A plus." Fine, go right ahead. <laughs> and if you want, and and if you find you're kicking your own ass, well, then maybe you should uh, soften up, and an A or a B plus would have been fine. And then one learns over time. You know, for myself um sometimes the minimal is fine doing the minimal to you know doing sufficiency what's sufficient or necessary is fine and it's not striving for excellence fine okay i'm not in a hurry and at other times i really want to edit that that article 3 times rather than twice i really want to review it and proofread it 3 times not twice because i like it uh, and so I think uh, it's about taking the spirit of the teaching and internalizing it and personalizing it uh, and being reasonable with yourself. <laughs> the spirit of the teaching of meticulousness, or um, throwing your heart in while you do, or striving for excellence. The spirit of it is to just pay attention to the quality of of your of your works. And uh yet uh, you know there are, there are great masters, uh, I imagine, whose rooms are not totally clean <laughs> because that's just not important to them and and who who are we to say they should have a totally clean room and they should dust it every day? Uh, they do it their way, and uh, so each person um, walks the path their own way. So anyway that that I could go on and on, but I think you 've got the point, and uh, that 's it for now. I maybe want to give Brent a chance to speak um, to that whole issue, and then we 'll go back so let 's do it that way. so Brent, any comments on that?
1: Well, I think you really pretty much covered the topic um, i don 't really think that there's anything else to ask or I mean to add to that except for the fact that um, you know what? Uh, yes, it was important to you know that they taught throwing your heart into your work, what you had to do. But then at the same time, you know there were there were times in the book, especially they were showing that leisure time was important, um, taking breaks were important. They encouraged. You know, Andre was reluctant to go out, um, especially that that one time when. Uh, um, Lisa Lysias wanted to take him to the um uh was it the the musical park, the musical festival areas and uh he didn't want to go, you know, he wanted to stay and work and they, and they tobias was saying, No, 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 you've been working hard, you need to get out of here, you need to give yourself a break, you know. Um, um and some of that is you know, don't don't just don't push yourself too hard. You know, make sure that you give yourself a chance to just rest and enjoy your surroundings. Um, and that was also reflected you know when he went to people's homes after hours there was a lot of music there was a lot of conversation there was a lot of beauty in the gardens uh, you know flowers being cared for um and that's all necessary rather than just work 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 and you know throwing yourself into um, uh, change and growth all the time i mean pretty soon it's uh you know you uh, you burn yourself out and um that has to be watched. that That's pretty much all I'll add. Um, you covered all the bases pretty well there, Scott.
0: Uh, okay. So, uh, now... Hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, so the question really is uh, for a deeper understanding or unpacking of the phrase um, thoughts never miss their target. Uh... There is a notion, I mean, there, there is an idea of um, multiple dimensionalities or probability vortices. Roz talked about possibility probability vortices. Uh, <clears throat> and the idea that, I mean, I think that they had asked Ra about that directly. Uh, do all our thoughts have a reality on some dimensionality? Do do all of our hopes um, create some kind of manifestation on another dimensional level? And Ra seemed to say that it depends on the intensity um, of the motivation or the will um, the desire associated with those particular thoughts or hopes. Uh, in Nosolar <clears throat> the idea that thoughts never miss their target uh, is that thought generates astral energy fluid or fields or energy waves or lines that uh, will always in some way to some degree uh, reach uh, a target or a person or an object uh, the the object of the thinking right whatever that may be so it could be uh, Andre thinking about his wife on the astral plane, the thoughts reach her um, by, you know, the astral, through the medium of astral substance, astral energy, and affect her mind-body-spirit complex astrally to some degree, and then she would be conscious of that uh, to some degree as well, and respond to that or not, to some degree as well <clears throat> depending on the force with which he had he he generated those thoughts uh, thought as creative as the product of a creative act so let there be light uh, the raw talked about the concept of light that for the infinite creator Light itself, intelligent energy, and therefore all forms of energy in the seven dimensions, right? Intelligent energy is prior to the seven dimensions. Uh, <clears throat> so intelligent energy um, can, you know, uh, splits into the seven frequencies of the seven rise. But even that light is a concept in the mind of the One Infinite. It's the concept of light, uh, likewise, and that's a creative act um light is um a an apparently substantial thought form of the one infinite creator and thought then is a creative act by any thinker in any dimensional level that has a target or an object uh whether it's a person or a desire for a manifestation like I, i i i want an ice cream cone Uh, that creative act uh, sends or expresses um, astral energy, even if thought is is, um, higher than the astral plane, that's another matter. The the mental plane and the astral plane are not the same. But uh, energy follows thought. (laughs) Uh, Thought, which is itself a form of energy, or thought forms which are Um, like packets of mental energy uh, generate astral energy or influence astral energy fields which then have some effect somehow on a person if they're directed to thinking about a person but they may have a very minor negligible effect that completely is missed by the conscious mind of the person and therefore the person doesn't think about it whatsoever and I I think it it takes place it it therefore therefore the thought um, has a life of its own and reaches a target but it may <clears throat> um, it, it may reach the target so imperceptibly and so minimally that it has no it, it basically has no effect at all you know it's point zero 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 one like that a tiny negligible effect. So, I think it's just the idea that um, any thought, <clears throat> any creative mental mental will, you know, will to, will to think, creative process that generates thought form, uh, radiates into the environment somehow and affects, it, it touches the object of the thought somehow, some way but most of it doesn't manifest in any significant physical uh product. That's how I'd say. Brent, anything you would like to add on that and then we can go back to your to you, you know, you can <clears throat> refine your comments or questions on that. Brent?
1: Sure. Um yeah, exactly. And I think um yeah, I do agree with with what you said and you didn't really touch on it as far as um What Ra had to say about it as far as um, intensity or severity of the actual thought and the process, it's like the difference between, like you said, somebody's and also uh, emotional input, severity of what they're doing and in that particular instance if we put it back in context, it was on page 134 of the book uh, Pauline talking to her father is saying from your sick bed uh, here, you are constantly projecting poisonous fluids of bitterness and incomprehension to them, meaning his family. And they, in turn, are doing the same back to you. So it's, a, it's a, like a ricochet effect. Uh, thought, as subtle waves, never misses its target, however distant it may be. The exchange of hate and suspicion causes ruin and suffering to the soul. Um, and then she goes on to explain what's going with the family and the mother having been taken away to the mental hospital but so in so in other words reaction to what the father is doing constantly projecting poisonous fluids of bitterness reaching all the family members and because he's constantly doing it and he is so severe about it in his state uh, it's a it's it's a constant bombardment of poisonous fluids and bitterness, and that makes the reaction, as my interpretation now as to what she's saying to him, um, causes the reaction that, that the family is going through: the infighting, the mother's breakdown and being sent to a mental hospital, um, and you know the uh, the lawsuits that the that the daughters are against the sons um, and just general discord in the family, you know, so, uh, in that context, that's what they're, they're talking about, how this, the, the subtle waves of thought, but in this case, it's not so subtle, well, I think it's subtle, but it's a, like a subtle feeling, it's almost like a nagging itch that won't go away, you know, or like a mosquito buzzing in your ear that you can't get away from, you know, um, that's the effect of those the projection of those ah. poison fluids and bitterness to the rest of his family, um, and they respond by swatting back at it and being angry. <laughs> so they they're they're just busy exchanging bitterness and poison rather than you know love and for, forgiveness. Is my take on that whole exchange?
0: Yeah, I mean the the, the idea of fluid references um, astral substance, and the idea of bitter references the fact that it's um, not of love or kindness and therefore um, generates uh, disharmony and discord or conflict or uh, disruption in the recipient the intensity is everything yes and what's not really spoken is uh, that as you say the intensity of the will <clears throat> with which the thinker thinks those thoughts uh determines or or has great effect upon the uh strength of the transmission and the likelihood of uh, he, uh, not being being non a non negligible non non minimal or moderate or significant uh effect upon the object of the thought the person in this case but the person may or may not recognize it <clears throat> it's like telepathy right they're sending and receiving some people are great senders but not great receivers and some are great receivers but not great senders <clears throat> and those are two different qualities or two different abilities so uh you drop a pebble in the uh ocean and absolutely the the radiatory vibratory Uh, effect or um, movement outwards from the point of contact of the uh, pebble in the ocean uh, radiates to the whole ocean, and you can say to the whole world, and you can say to the whole universe, I think, because everything is interconnected uh, uh, by etheric energy or intelligent energy. Uh, But its effect is um, nearly nothing uh, the further out it gets from the point of contact and um, likewise uh, the intensity may not be sufficient uh, to have much of an effect on the recipient or manifest anything so there are lots of hopes we have that never manifest and there are other hopes we have that manifest very clearly in the physical 3d world so i think that 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 more the, the advanced discussion was not provided by that quote <laughs> the quote that thought always uh, cannot, you know, always reaches its target or something uh, it may reach the target um, uh, akin to uh, a, a two second breeze of, of wind that the person doesn't even notice so uh, there's more subtle metaphysics involved you want to follow up on that? Yeah, well, okay. That's a great question. Um, how can there be a result of thought transmission um, when the true nature of thought is empty or sunya? Uh, the, the question, in in Buddhism, they had a built, real problem with that as well. And it's basically... Uh, integration of what's called the two truths or the two the two levels of truth relative and absolute we there's the difference between experiential the apparent and the essential which is the experiential versus um true nature because we um because we uh uh, ha- be- because of avidya or ignorance, <laughs> we experience um, phenomena whose nature is illusion, right? The illusion of limits, the concept of light, your dancing thoughts. That's the, the Ra's teachings talking about the nature of light as a concept, that the experience of limitation or physicality is an illusion, that um, our true nature is not separative beings but. Akin to dancing thoughts, these I think are um, uh, philosophically uh, similar to the Buddhist teaching of of emptiness or sunya, which is similar to the Buddhist teaching of anatta, no self, which is also translated as insubstantiality. Uh, because we, um, beta- because of our ignorance, because of our uh, conditions. Of consciousness because of of our our, our self consciousness because we uh, process all experience through the filter of uh, experiential apparent separative selfhood meaning I'm a me and you're a you and you're not me and uh, we are not one that's our apparent that's our experience which is the apparent level the relative truth the the first truth which is the relative because of, of the fact that we experience self consciousness, uh, all uh, of our experience then is sort of uh, concretized or substantialized or felt to be uh, tant- felt to be substantial. But its true nature, uh, we're we're, we're so, we can only suppose that or of only a person who uh, truly has had an experience of emptiness. And and some people will say they have, but a greater teacher will say, no, you haven't. Some people don't know they have, but they have. It's a very hard call. Uh, and, you know, I can say I have, and you can say you haven't, and you could say you have, and I could say you haven't, or I could say, yes, you have, and somebody else could say, no, you haven't. Who knows? But therefore um our personal experience of true nature is extremely limited it's in some ways a, a an intellectual supposition uh, to say that, that true nature is empty uh because empty is be- is beyond definition you say it's actually beyond concept The the nature of sunya or anatta or the nature of phenomena as illusory um is transconceptual it, it's uh, when Gautama talked about sunya in in the earliest teachings before Mahayana. It was basically saying something like um, nirvana or awakening is empty of uh, selfhood, and uh, the final the the goal nirvana nibbana the the complete and perfect awakening enlightenment is empty of all the characteristics that we're familiar with in terms of uh, personal experience uh, and that the true nature is he didn't, Gautama didn't talk about true nature this is all Mahayana, Chinese, Tibetan coming later The concrete, what seems to be like a concretizing or substantializing a intellectual, uh, long intellectual discussion of what is emptiness, all that came later Gautama basically said in the original that uh, nirvana is empty of the three marks meaning Aniccanatta um, Dukkha and beyond the three poisons you know, grasping, aversion, ignorance beyond everything that <clears throat> that uh, is the basis of our um, personal experience uh, awakening and enlightenment Nirvana is, is empty of all that so it's a kind of literal emptiness empty of all defining characteristics and differentiation so to be able to <clears throat> um so that so the idea is that based on our current limits of consciousness uh we can only talk about emptiness or we can only talk about freedom from the characteristics that we experience uh and yet. We obviously experience apparent substantiality or apparent uh, effect cause and effect right but <laughs> the teaching is its true nature um is free of all of the fashionings of concept and the concept is empty too and so karma is empty too there is no time and space there is no path and that's where guys come on and say you know if you see the buddha on the road kill him meaning Uh, the whole Buddhist teaching is empty. And that's where Lin Chi was coming, saying that I have no choice but to talk such, you know, such garbage for you people because you can't realize that that, um, reality is empty of all um, your concepts about it. Yet we're using concepts. So (laughs) uh, it's just uh, the integration of the two truths that, uh, can't really, that, that really can only be experienced, and yet, um, who can say who's experienced it? <laughs> only somebody who really is beyond us can say that they've experienced or if we have, or we know it. But <clears throat> by our way of understanding, clearly, uh, we experience substantiality, and therefore thoughts have an effect. But, um, to the extent that one can see, or has had an experience, i mean, as far as I know, from my experience, or my knowing, uh, to the extent that one realizes that all perception and conception is empty, or arises and passes away, and therefore doesn't have a true, its true nature is spaciousness, uh, only to the extent that somebody would really have an experience of that could they really understand how the two truths are one and that uh, the nature of samsara is nirvana or the nature of illusion is infinity (laughs) or that uh, what appears to be material and substantial um, is, is basically like a dream so it's definitely there's no great um proving of anything here. I don't know if that gives you, if that helps you or makes you, gives more confusion. Well, I I would say that the contract that Wanderers agree to is to hook up into 3D space-time genetics. To incarnate in 3D space-time means um, to hook up to this body and brain mind-body system, uh, which uh, has this curtaining in mind, or veil in mind, and therefore, we've, we've agreed to uh, the genetic hookup and incarnation into the yellow ray body, which is the yellow ray, or first, second, third chakra, first, third third ray, uh, status of mind body spirit complex, right? There's mind body spirit complex in sixth density too, but or there's the six dimensional mind body spirit complex, which is higher self, and the third dimension 3D or yellow ray mind body spirit complex has this veil in mind. Uh, by that contract, <clears throat> um, we sort of agree to the limitations in awareness. That that proceed therefrom. Now Blake's quote is: "If the doors of perception were cleansed, everything would appear to man as it is infinite." For man has closed himself up till he sees all things through narrow chinks of his cavern. Uh, mind as a um, uh, point of awareness, akin to a cavern uh with all sorts of um obstructions and patterns of mind that are that limit awareness as well as the three d hookup or the three d genetic you know yellow ray activation of my body spirit so that's what we are here agreed to the yellow ray activation of my body spirit uh which is veil now um Because of that, and because we haven't, in the Incarnation in this lifetime, um, completely purified the seven chakra development, therefore our doors of perception are not cleansed or uh, have obstruction. Because of that, um, we naturally uh, do not see infinity or unity. Or insubstantiality, or emptiness, or anatta. So, we naturally uh, don't experience. You know, our our personal experience is not at one with transpersonal reality. Transpersonal reality is um, all as um, the one infinite creator, unity, infinity uh what is empty and insubstantial or what is uh, anata and, and and um and, and uh sunya is um the apparent substantiality of our distorted ordinary experience our distorted ordinary experience by way of the yellow ray uh activation of my body spirit complex by way of being non-enlightened beings, like like, like higher self is not enlightened either, you know, higher self is not finished either, by the fact that we really still um, labor under the final three fetters, which is basically conceit, which I would say is really ahamkara, or the belief in separative identity, meaning a sense of self, and restlessness, which is actually (laughs) preconceptual <laughs> this is very very subtle there, there could be a very deep understanding from analysis of the last three fetters because in many ways that's what wanderers have not six density wanderers have not yet finished is the last three fetters breaking and the tenth is ignorance or avidya which is the basis of restlessness restlessness is not um, essentially in my understanding it's not the restlessness of god I'm bored what am I going to do it's not a conceptual process, it's preconceptual because it's prior to conceit or the eighth fetter, so the nine ten nine eight uh, we break we we go we we leave the act octave breaking eight nine ten, but we can trace the origin of all these obstructions going in reverse by ten nine eight, meaning ignorance or avidya is the basis of restlessness, which is the basis of conceit or ahamkara or the Fashioning of the separative identity and on the way back out um, to be able to realize to to unify the two views relative absolute to be able to realize that form is emptiness and emptiness is form right the Buddhist teaching of the Heart Sutra uh, Shin uh, I forgot Fui, uh, Shiki, Shiki, Sokoze, Ku, Ku this is Japanese uh, Heart Sutra Chanting we used to do in the temple, <coughs> um, it's a hanyā <laughs> shingyō, and hanyā uh, is heart, shingyō means sutra, and that's Mahayana, but they understand the, empty, the unity of form and emptiness. Form is apparent substantiality, and emptiness, sunyā, or anātā in substantiality, is infinity or nothingness, or, you know, unity, infinity, unity, uh, nothingness, and infinity is one. Or infinity is um, the emptiness of unity. (laughs) Unity is basically a realization that what seemed to be two is really one. That two, however, is illusory. So unified self falls away too. That's, That's beyond getting out of sixth density. So... Unity is sunyata, <laughs> and so first we have duality, or we experience dualistic consciousness. There's you and me in time and space. And then there's unified self or sixth density, <clears throat> and that is that is um, the eight, the condition in the eighth fetter, which is um, a sense of it's the final it's the final position of um, selfhood, which is self is one light, the one light, the one infinite, the one light. The one boundless light is me. <clears throat> and that's um, akin to the uh, consciousness of higher self. However, that's also sunya. And so the um, emptiness of unity reveals infinity. And only at that point can we say that the doors of perception are cleansed beyond the supposed separative identity of the 8th fetter, ahamkara, or sense of self, or even self as light, self as boundless light, is still ahamkara, or self-fashioning, a sense of separative or conceptually based identity. That goes in sixth density, as well as the basic restlessness um, of apparent multiplicity, which is the, the, the sense that there's um, something to do or something happening here <laughs> there's something happening here called time and space no, that's illusory too or the supposed the the uh, experience of time and space is illusory too the, the experience of past, present, future or me and you or this body and that body or here and there <clears throat> all of that is sunya too and that kicks out restlessness and then uh, eventually you know one gets out of 7th density or finishes a vidya, but uh, form is emptiness, emptiness is form, is basic, you know, is the Buddhist understanding of the integration of the two truths, which is our apparent, <clears throat> our, our experiential level, which is apparent, and the essential nature of experience, which is transconceptual conceptual or beyond thought. And so, uh, we experience uh, one can you know th- this remains philosophy until one experiences it. <laughs> it it it's still it's thought until one realizes the ex- one has some experience of it and then seeks to put it into word which is a piece of work also so <clears throat> but but mm, my experience my understanding is uh we don't experience the emptiness or insubstantiality of form or matter or thought or feeling or selfhood uh, simply because the doors of perception are uh, not cleansed enough or we haven't kicked out the last three fetters and that's um uh, that's just the way it goes and so uh, we take the illusory as substantial and real until we know better, until the mind is much, much more quiet, you say, what's really needed is deep stillness, deep, deep consciousness stilling, stilling consciousness deeply, deep stilling, and at that point, everything looks different, and um things get very weird as far as I've experienced, in terms of whatever level of deep stilling I know um, you really can taste that um, time and space are illusory or empty. Because um, the the restlessness basis of uh, apparently substantial identity falls away. That's, that's the stilling, you know, the stilling is to cut away nine, to cut away the ninth fetter or to weaken the ninth fetter. And that's part of what samadhi and meditation is all about, is deep stilling of of citta, of the mind, of the mental activity. Deep stilling of of mind um, is weakening the ninth fetter, which weakens the eighth fetter, and everybody else, everybody else down the line, meaning the sense of selfhood, um, the uh, apparent substantiality, solidity, separativeness, you know, there's me, I'm me, that whole fiction, Or that that experience is seen as fiction, increasingly, with real deep mind stilling. And therefore, time and space also uh, are seen as (laughs) not quite what we've thought them to be. Reality is not what you think it is. Reality is prior to thought, and only with uh, some prolonged experience of thoughtlessness, or stillness, uh, or non-production, can one get a taste of that and that's the the very important work of how weakening restlessness or becoming increasingly still in mind uh, weakens the eighth fetter or ahamkara and um, the common experience that self is a solid thing and um, time and space are solid and um, duality is, is real and then one is increasingly tasting sunya All right? <laughs> Pretty heavy. So, yes, and Buddha's, Gautama's original teaching or usage of the word sunya was an empty absence of something, yeah. It was the absence of ignorance. Enlightenment is the absence of avidya, or the absence of um, the three poisons, grasping, aversion, ignorance. Uh, awakening and nirvana is free of um, uh, all-fashioning. <laughs> free of the samskara of, of all of the skandhas, the five skandhas, the sense of self, and uh, particularly samskara or fashioning. Um, awakening is free of fashioning. It's an unfashioned state. Not very fashionable, indeed. So, anything else on that? Right, the the explanatory, media, the, the vehicle of explanation being concept, is uh, missing from the experience uh, of the ultimate or from absolute reality. You know, to experience sunya and anatta, as far as I know, um, is an experience of of non-fashioning and yet, or non-conceptuality or truly transpersonal reality. And... um, to explain it goes back into personal reality <laughs> or personal uh, fashioning of concept by concept so to explain um, that that's why Gautama spoke a bit of it that way and, and in fact later Mahayanists were criticized by some others in Buddhism as reifying, this word reification is very important R-E-I-F-Y to reify is to to concretize a thought or to take a thought as a thing. And you can say that, that the result of um, ignorance and restlessness or the 10th and the ninth fetters, basic ignorance and and basic restlessness, which is really vibration, uh, the result of that is the reification of identity into ahamkara or a sense of separative self. And with that reification of the sense of, of the idea of of identity or the sense of presence which is really boundless comes uh, all the conceptual um, analysis, you know, conceptual scheme, conceptual activity of thinking about this and that and trying to explain things. But to explain the the trans-conceptual with concept is definitely problematic. And that's why Gautama left left the understanding of Sunya as, uh, yeah, awakening, Or enlightenment or Nirvana is free of all this other stuff that's obstructive like the five skandhas taken as a self like the patterns of grasping and aversion as uh, ways that we act and um, even the three marks and Ichanata dukkha really pertain to the fashioned not the uncreated the the relative is absent in the in the absolute and all the activities um, from relative view such as grasping and aversion uh and the characteristics of of everything that's experienced in relative view or before and like awakening the characteristics being the three marks anicca, it's dukkha or impermanence and insubstantiality and stress or dukkha suffering or dissatisfactoriness that's also gone too. Those are really antidotes to um taking our fashionings as reality. While those fashionings are understood as actually having or associated with the three marks, three characteristics, impermanent, insubstantial, and stressful, those fall away too. <laughs> those are missing, those are too, missing too. And that's why some Mahayanists then talk about nirvana as endless you know, not impermanent, or, you know, forever permanent even, they've, they've even said that, which was really like a horror <laughs> to hear in Buddhism, to hear about permanence, the, inla- the permanence of nirvana, something like that. That's just because these guys love thinking, and they're all philosophers. But uh, these characteristics, the three marks, uh, are missing, or are, are, are not present in awakening and in the awakened way, in the awakened reality. Um, Because those are really um, attributes or qualities of the perceiver who's not yet awakened. (laughs) Qualities of experience and of the perceiver prior to awakening. So, anyway, um, Brent, is there anything you (laughs) want to add to here? Brent?
1: Not really. You've covered uh, quite the extensive <laughs> topic there, and um, um, I think it was, you know, it was very complete, I liked it, and I want to thank uh, for the, um, for the questions, that's really, it was really nice and very insightful, good, good questions, and um, I'm glad glad we got a chance to cover those uh, for the last discussion class of Nossal Art, thank, thank you very much, that's it. Sure, well,
0: yeah, I mean, Experience is basically mediated by um, the the fashioning or the prior fashioning or the basis of a sense of self. I am experiencing, and so experience proceeds out of the eighth fetter or down the line from down from eight down to one. Uh, personal experience. I mean, enlightenment is not experienceable <laughs> because in awakening there is no longer. Um, a fashioned, uh, subjective uh, self that can be felt to be having experience. That's why some people go into psychosis or dissociation. Because really, awakening is so transpersonal that it cannot be said to be occurring to a person. <laughs> In the experience of it, there's nobody experiencing it. So there was a book some Westerner wrote about Zen called On Having No Head. So, meaning uh, awakening experience cannot is is intrinsically trans subjective, or or a non subjective. There's no subjectivity actually in breakthrough. Yes, yes. and that's and that's actually um, akin to the most subtle understanding of or definition of the word worldly. The worldly is the world of um, ignorance based fashioned conceptual experience and when ignorance is gone um, there's no more conceptual fashioning therefore there's no personal no more personal experiencing and therefore the world falls away and that goes to the doors of perception cleansed back to infinity there's no worldly in the infinite. Infinity is is trans differentiation, is beyond differentiation, of a worldly or a personal experiencing. And that's why you know awakening is really very rare. <laughs> and and later Buddhists in Mahayana particularly and Vajrayana, um, perhaps got impatient with following teachings on the path, and started to or or made a Uh, career to some degree out of talking about awakening which Gautama didn't do. Yeah. Um, Lin Chi when he was a student when he was a student in Huang Po big guy, very very important Chinese Buddhist teacher before Lin Chi who had perhaps half a dozen or more of fully awakened students which is very rare and that's a really a mark of great achievement for a teacher to have many awakened students, more than just one or two. Uh, when when Lin Shi was at Huang Po's place and he was uh, not yet a teacher or master, he didn't have any questions to ask him. <laughs> and I had the same kind of experience. I don't know what to ask because I know that I'm just not finished yet, <laughs> and the only way I can. Be happy is to be finished or have some breakthrough um, uh, talking about this and that and asking questions about this and that isn't really what I need or getting answers to my questions isn't what I need what I need is, is some kind of breakthrough to break through this box of my pain and illusion and so Lynchy was a great such a great student that he really had no questions and just knew that he needed breakthrough to set his mind his heart at ease and um, he got it so um, let me go to Brent and then we got to close and then I'll add this to Dropbox Brent any final questions comments
1: not really Um, I I think as I mentioned I think that the uh, discussion went really well tonight and um, encompassed a lot of different I, I, I like how it combined the topics of Nasalar and, and segued into uh, how it relates to the concepts mentioned not only in the raw material but also in Buddhism too so it's very good all-encompassing all and um, very important to be able to do that especially for the listeners out there so I appreciate that very much and uh, thanks
0: um, okay you're welcome so uh, thank you for your questions and um, we're sort of uh, expanding the discussion of no solar into um, broader metaphysical topics thought, manifestation, possibility, probability, vortices, and uh, intensity of thought as a creative act, and then the nature of experience going uh, from the relative to the absolute and the integration or or the uh, in the unity of form and emptiness or the personal apparent personal experience of apparent substantiality which is all thought-based and uh, true nature or infinity uh, trans conceptuality so all of these things are related and um, thank you for the questions i hope it was useful so everybody take good care of yourselves see you next time and good night